Welcome to Trauma Talk. I'm Cheryl, a teacher, hypnobirthing teacher, doula and birth keeper. And if you don't know me already, I love talking about trauma, but in particular birth trauma, even though it's all linked together. And that's what this podcast is for, to talk about trauma, to talk about birth trauma and explore how that all links together. I'm not from a clinical background and I don't have a medical degree, but I'm talking from the point of view of human experience, my own human experience and the things that I've learned and the experiences of those who I've been lucky enough to support in their journeys to more often than not a healing birth, which is what they were setting out to do. So thank you so much for being here. If you have any suggestions for what we should be talking about or any suggestions for guests or you want to put yourself forward, then please get in touch at Cheryl at simplynatal.co.uk or find me on Instagram or Facebook as Simply Natal, the healing birth doula. Enjoy. Well, welcome back to Trauma Talk. Um, oh, I've been trying to decide where to go next with this. There's so many things that I can talk about. But in some ways, I understand why it makes sense to talk about my birth trauma first and foremost. And not only that, because I can talk about what the symptoms of birth trauma are because of my symptoms, as well as other like talk about what other people's symptoms could be. I can talk about the causes of birth trauma because of what caused my birth trauma, even though that might look different for other people. But there are lots of similarities across stories. And even though all of our stories might be completely different and completely different things and completely different situations that have caused us to have that trauma response, there's so many similarities with the reasons why we end up in that position where we feel that way. So let's start there, hey, Um, and let me just offer you permission, if you need it, um, to take a break at any point, to not continue listening to this till the end, if it doesn't feel like the right time for you or you just don't want to, that's fine. Skip this one altogether if you like and move on to a different one. Because if you're fresh out of your own birth trauma, or if you're even if you're a long way past your birth trauma and you just haven't had the space, support or time to process it yet, then listening to someone else's birth trauma can be hard going. So please take care of yourself first and foremost. So where do I start? I mean, it's my story. So you'd think I can do this. Um, I suppose my story as much as we could keep on going back and back and back to to my own birth, that would take far too long. Um, But what, in terms of my perinatal experiences, we can start with my first pregnancy because my first birth was not my first pregnancy. My first pregnancy had been the year before and had ended at seven weeks. And 
it was a long time before I connected these things all together. But it makes so much sense now, knowing what I know and seeing what I see, because seeing other people have very similar experiences, I can see how these things link together so importantly. But we are told by society that an early loss doesn't matter, is not important and shouldn't be talked about. In fact, we're encouraged, aren't we, to not even tell people that we're pregnant before 12 weeks, because if anything happens before then, no one needs to know. Um, So, you know, I like to challenge that a little bit now and, and encourage people to tell others when they feel like they need support and to tell others whenever it feels right for them. We don't have to comply with this imaginary time limit that society has given us. Um, because if we do have a loss in the early days before 12 weeks, then actually we need an awful lot of support. That is very hard to ask for if we've never told anyone. So my story really starts on reflection way back then when I was pregnant with a much wanted baby. Um, and I'd had a positive pregnancy test and I'd told my sister and I had so much fear already at that point, so much fear um, because it felt like such a massive responsibility. And when it's your body doing this thing, it does feel like a massive responsibility sometimes. And then I started bleeding. And of course, that felt like failure because I had a lot of deconditioning to do at that point as well so you know I interpreted it as my fault and my failure um and then I did another pregnancy test a few days after that and it was positive and I was like oh I thought I'd miscarried and then I hadn't or at least I hadn't the process hadn't finished I don't know and I'll never know but I was still positive testing positive for a a little while so another week or so um and then eventually the bleeding came back and it was worse and it was heavy and it was sad um and it it was final it felt final um I went to the early pregnancy unit and I felt as though I needed I wanted to have like a a, a scan to just tell me that it was definitely no baby there because I felt so messed up from having these signs of miscarrying then still having a positive test and what does it mean and is it one of those stories where people think they're miscarried but actually it's not and there is still a baby there and I wasn't sure and I couldn't trust myself and I thought it would help if I had a, a scan But when I went to the early pregnancy unit, the midwife just said, there's no point having a scan. You're having a miscarriage. That's what this is. And I was like, oh, (laughs) and that felt quite final. Right. Okay, then that's what this is. Um, And, you know, kind of just put a smile on and accepted it and went, okay, that's that's what it is. But not many people knew about it. Obviously, I told people later on. I told people when I was pregnant again that I'd had a miscarriage um, because it felt like I was allowed to then. It was validated because, look, I've got 
I'm pregnant now and it's working out. Um, so I can now I'm allowed to tell you that I had a miscarriage before. Um, what I, you know, it, it, for some people, it could be completely unrelated. Like you could have a, a miscarriage, you could deal with it, you could process that and then go on to have another pregnancy. Maybe, I suppose, I don't know. Um, it seems to me like a lot of people carry that loss into their next experience or all of their next experiences um, and I certainly did I just didn't know that 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 meant I needed to do some work that I needed to do some processing I didn't know that that's what it meant um, so I just carried on regardless and in my pregnancy with Riley I spent a lot of time worrying about miscarriage but not really knowing or, or acknowledging that that's what it was I just thought because I'd already failed once it was more likely that I was going to fail again um and that fear of going to the toilet and and looking to see whether there's blood there that never went away I mean I think I was still having that horrible sinking feeling like most of the way through my pregnancy um, at least until 20 weeks anyway so I needed a lot of reassurance I went to went in for monitoring a couple of times um you know it was anxiety though it wasn't reduced movements I just wanted to know my baby was okay and yeah the the pregnancy was was filled with lots of anxiety in that respect not I wasn't thinking about birth I wasn't particularly afraid of birth I knew nothing about it so it was hard to be afraid of something that I didn't know um I'd done research the sort of research where you find out about all the things that can go wrong don't you um because that had been the kind of mindset that I'd been in for a lot of my life you know looking for the stuff that can go wrong and then seeing if there's any way that you can avoid the thing going wrong that you most fear but of course knowing what I know now about how the mind works and how the mind and body are connected um, the stuff that you learn about in hypnobirthing I realized that all I was doing was planting these negative ideas in my head and causing myself anguish because of them uh, so it doesn't surprise me that I experienced the birth as traumatic because of that so anyway moving forward to not knowing anything about birth didn't know a thing um, thought I knew some stuff but it wasn't anywhere near the sort of stuff that we should know that we need to know you know basic physiology for example how to feel supported and safe didn't know that either um, and that takes a little bit of self-reflection anyway you know what what makes me feel safe it's, it's hard to know what that is unless you've done a bit of work on yourself already so um I got to 40 weeks and that came and went didn't it um, a friend of mine was due after me and had a baby before me. I remember being devastated, truly devastated that um, that felt so unfair and what was wrong with me? Because, of course, I didn't understand anything about due dates and, and why it's not relevant at all. Um, I didn't feel like I could just relax and wait for my baby to come. I felt like I ought to be doing something. So, you know... <laughs> 
I mean, I didn't do loads of things. I probably ate a tin of pineapple, and now I know that that's a load of rubbish. Um, I probably had a curry, but not hot enough to do anything anyway. Um, and, you know, felt this immense pressure to make this baby be born. Um, what is my body not doing right? And of course, now I know that my body was doing everything right. It was doing everything it needed to do. Except I had that dreaded appointment, didn't I? That like 41 week appointment, which it was then eight years ago. Now people are having these conversations way earlier. Um, okay, we're going to book you in for induction. And I remember thinking, oh, I don't really want that. Doesn't sound like something that I would enjoy very much. Um, I'd read some stories. Um, I didn't feel like induction was for me. But I also didn't know that I could just say, no, thanks. I don't want to be induced. I thought that was what had to happen. Oh, and also I had in that last week of pregnancy, I had four sweeps, four sweeps. So I think I was offered a sweep on when I was 40 weeks. And then I just kept going back because I was like, well, nothing's happening so I my body isn't working make it work switch it on do that thing and press the button and make it work um because I didn't understand physiology I didn't understand that bodies just do it in their own time and that fiddling about with it doesn't do anything unless your body is already ready so I had four sweeps of varying uh you know success in that I think the very first one she wasn't really able to do anything and then you know it turned out that my my cervix was softening it was a little bit open she was able to perform a sweep it didn't hurt um because I, my cervix was already soft so I think the reason why I hadn't gone into labor was because of baby's position but of course someone did mention that to me and I didn't really understand an awful lot about it um, she's that my midwife had said just go on on all fours just go on your all fours all the time and I was like right okay I don't really know what I'm doing don't really understand and I hadn't done enough in pregnancy to support him getting into a good position so doing that in the final week or so of pregnancy is unlikely to make a huge difference um, I do believe now, and I mean, I had a suspicion then as well that he was properly wedged in my pelvis. And one of the reasons I know is because when he was born, one of his ears was like bent over and it stayed like that for a few weeks, like as though he'd been wedged in the side of my pelvis with his ear like squashed um, and he couldn't move. He couldn't get into a better position and that's the reason why he wasn't in a better position because we know babies get into the best position they can and he just couldn't he couldn't move into a better position so he did that in labor and so when I um, eventually did go into labor I realized there's a lot of I'm giving you a lot of like context beforehand but I think that's important it gives you an idea of my my headspace and where I was at that's not going to be the same for everyone. Some people are in a really good space leading up to their birth. Some people are not. Some people's trauma is happening way, way before. Um, and I suppose in some ways I've had some little experiences of trauma, like the miscarriage for a start and the kind of generally just feeling really anxious and like my body wasn't doing a good enough job. These kind of micro traumas really. 
Um, but not anything massive, not a massive experience of trauma. Maybe some like internalized feelings, like the the feeling of of not going into labor on time and that being something that I needed to do desperately and that it meant I was a failure if I didn't. So I think that kind of did impact on me. I internalized that and made that about me rather than understanding it as a as just something that is to do with birth and as not knowing when labor is going to happen so I was booked in for induction and actually the Monday after he was born he was born on the Sunday and he's booked in on the Monday and I really didn't want induction but I didn't know I could say no so all this pressure all this pressure had had this other sweep on like the Friday I woke up Saturday morning about 6 a.m um and had my first contraction <laughs> um and oh this is funny I know uh Sally Ann on the ultimate birth partner talks about this as well like this idea of you know especially when it's your first time round you have that first contraction and it's like oh all of that adrenaline all of that excitement all of that oh my god finally this is happening um and actually what we end up doing is slowing things down <laughs> rather than just accepting it and let it, letting it happen. And I very much in my head counted that as the start of labor when really, you know, from a mindset perspective, I should have just been ignoring it as long as possible and getting on with things. But I somehow thought that I could think my way through this process of labor, which is impossible, and that I could make it happen quicker somehow if I just forced myself to think about it. Um, so I got up and um, went downstairs and was like, right, okay, let's make this happen. <laughs> you can't do that with labor. comes in its own time. So, um, you know, it's, I was I was waiting to see whether it was going to carry on of course and the thing is every time those contractions were coming I was afraid of them and I was I was saying like I was giving my body such mixed messages I was saying come on let's do this and then also going oh no but I don't like it very much <laughs> I don't like it when it hurts and I'm not oh I'm not particularly fond of this experience at all um and so that probably actually just dragged it out longer than it needed to be um I, I remember every time I sat on the toilet, it got more intense. So, of course, I just wouldn't sit in that position and I just avoided it. I remember just pushing it away, pushing it away. It's something that I say to my doula clients now. It, you know, it's so important for us to accept the feelings, the sensations and thank them and say, yes, good. This is what I need to happen relax into it and accept it and welcome them um because I definitely didn't do that I pushed it away and I was like oh no 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 I was far too much in my logical mind so eventually anyway hours and hours and hours later um which it literally was because I think I mean I think I was at home for about 12 hours uh, maybe a bit longer before I decided to go in to the birth center and of course I was met with let's do an examination and for me that examination was was like some sort of test and I'd spent a lot I've spent a lifetime by the way trying to pass tests so you know I've I've, I've been pretty good at that I've hyper focused if you will on <laughs> passing tests so when I got the um, vaginal examination and I was told 
you're only two to three centimeters oh my word I was devastated because what had I been doing all this work for and of course that use of the word only was really devastating too because it felt so minimizing for the work that my body had done already rather than you know wow look what your body's done already I'm pretty sure actually at my last sweep I was already two centimeters as well and like I say my cervix seemed to be ready it was the baby's head not pressing down on it that was preventing labor starting so it felt like I hadn't done anything it felt like I hadn't done any work at all and I didn't understand physiology enough to know that that didn't mean that my body wasn't working hard so I cried and obviously carried on carrying on um I was I was encouraged to go home like I was told to think about it and go home but that felt even worse like I'd gone there because and I realized now the reason why I'd gone there is because I felt safe going somewhere at that time it felt like I couldn't continue to labor at home I needed to be in the place that was going to give birth Um, and in lots of ways that makes sense so I didn't really want to go, although I felt like I was supposed to, like I would, I'd gone there prematurely and I shouldn't be there yet. But as it turns out, um, because at the consensual sweep, I was given, uh, sorry, at the consensual vaginal examination, I was given a non-consensual sweep um, and didn't even recognise at the time that that was not a good thing. Um, but what that did was caused my contractions to get closer together so within about 10 minutes of having that sweep I was experiencing things differently now I don't know what would have happened I don't know if that was a good thing or whether it would have been longer or whether it would have been better without that I don't know but I know it felt like something changed um so you know I stayed I stayed and I bounced on my ball and then I got on the gas and air and actually when I got on the gas and air I loved that stuff and I would have stayed in that bit for forever <laughs> that bit and I remember saying in between contractions oh, I understand why people say toothache is worse than labor because toothache stop toothache doesn't stop does it it's constant but in between the contractions I was coping really well actually during the contractions felt hard in between um I was fine and you know that's pretty normal you know it's what I see quite a lot now as well um but what I was doing in my head was building up but how am I going to get through the next one um I, I was okay at that time like there was no there was no evidence there at that point that I was going to have a traumatic experience and in fact, you know, in lots of ways, it was it was absolutely fine that bit. As things progressed, though, um, I got more out of control, as in I didn't feel safe and I wasn't having people say the right things to me. Um, like reminding me that I was safe, for example, which is really simple, but something that, you know, I tend to try and say quite a lot of births that I'm at now because even if it doesn't look obvious that someone doesn't feel unsafe, it's not going to cause any harm to just tell them that they're safe. You are safe. 
this is safe everything about this is safe it's okay birth is safe your baby is safe um and I don't mean saying that if it's really untrue but most of the time that is true so you know I got into the pool and I was I was okay but I also wasn't okay um I was thinking how how am I gonna keep on going with this I had no timeline in my head I had no end in sight and I had no one reminding me what it was for what it was for either I'm gonna meet your baby soon or anything like that so as things got more intense which is bound to happen during labor it's bound to happen I wasn't accepting of that fact probably because I didn't feel safe enough to let myself go there um I expressed that I was feeling a bit unnerved I think because the midwife offered me meptid which was in my birth plan and I accepted it even though I was thinking I probably don't need this right yet right now just yet um I accepted it anyway so I was just thinking well it's only going to make it easier except I think on reflection actually the meptid sent me a bit whappy because you know it's an opioid <laughs> medication and I didn't feel good after taking that and that's when my head started doing all weird things so when I was experiencing the intensity of labor and it felt like it was too much for me to cope with I imagined myself being in medieval times and being tortured um, and thinking oh I know why people begged for death now I know, I know that. Imagine Guy Fawkes, like that's what's coming into my head. Um, at one point I did vocalise and I said, how do people do this when they know their baby's dead? Because of course that was the shadow of, well, echo of my um, previous loss because that, that had been what was on my mind the whole time through pregnancy. My baby I couldn't quite believe I was going to get a baby at the end because I'd already failed. So was I going to get a baby at the end? I don't know. I'd felt a bit safer after 24 weeks. And, you know, I knew that I had a healthy baby that was growing well. But of course, I also knew all of the stories about how things can go wrong. So my brain was taking me to those places in my most vulnerable time. And it was taking me to, yes, this baby might not even be alive and I might be doing all of this and not give birth to a baby that's alive. And I was experiencing that as though it was really happening because that's how powerful our minds are. <laughs> and when we know that's how powerful our minds are, then that makes sense. But to me at the time, I didn't know it didn't make sense that my brain was going to this place and it felt so bad. It felt like I was like I already was experiencing that, like I was already um, aware that my baby was not going to make it through this labour. Um, as, of course, that fear built, so did the pain because my body was resisting everything that was happening. Um, and I just felt like 
I was screaming, help me, help me on the inside. And no one was offering me any help. Um, I got really, really overwhelmed. Um, I think my baby would have been born sooner if um, his position had been better. I was really waiting for him to do that turn. His head was sideways. So waiting for him to do that turn so that he could be born. So my body needed to do really powerful contractions to make that happen. And I just didn't seem to cope very well with that sensation and with the letting go and letting my body do the thing because I didn't feel safe, because I didn't feel safe enough to do that. It's easy for me to to say that now, but when I've been explaining my birth story in the past before I knew what I know now, it sounds it sounds like it's just about the pain and it it felt for a long time for me like it was just about the pain and the pain and I couldn't cope with the pain and the pain was awful and the pain was traumatic and yes it was but I realize now that the pain felt the way it did because of how unsafe I felt and not because not just because I didn't feel the level of safety and support that I could have felt in the room but because I didn't feel safe in my body from the very beginning, I, I, I'd never felt safe in my body. My whole life, I hadn't felt safe in my body. So that's, that's a big thing. That's the big thing that we can't do anything about if we're already in labor. And then we realize that we have never felt safe in our body, you know, that's you can't fix that there and then anyway um if you've had a lifetime of anxiety um and other you know we could go into lots of other reasons why people might not feel safe in their body um but whatever the reason if we're going into pregnancy and labor and birth with that feeling of not being safe in our body then there's not an awful lot that anyone else can do for us that can make us feel safe yes I think there are things that people could have done for me to make me feel more safe and potentially to get me through that without being so traumatized but I realized that a lot of my experience comes down to my psychological experience what I was already taking in with me as well as how I felt on the day but I only know that now. I didn't understand that then. I couldn't separate it out and understand it properly then. And I think in some ways, regardless of things happening in labour, oftentimes there are things that are happening in labour that exacerbate those feelings. Sometimes people are still going into birth feeling unsafe and and really that's where it begins and then something happens and then that exacerbates the feeling of not being safe so essentially if we're talking about what causes birth trauma it comes back to safety and whatever it is that's causing that feeling of being unsafe is the root of us feeling unsafe and the root of our trauma because we can't we can't experience trauma if we feel completely safe. If we're completely safe all of the time, physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually safe all of the time, then we're not, we can't be traumatized. That's not how it works. It, it happens in a moment of feeling unsafe, whether that's for a moment or for a long period of time. That's when the trauma can occur. 
So yes, there were parts of my labour that were fine and felt okay. But generally, my feeling of not feeling safe was was persistent throughout. And that only got worse as I got closer to transition, of course, and, um, and to the birth itself, because that felt very out of control. And I wasn't able or willing to let to let go enough to, I didn't feel safe enough to let go enough to trust my body and why would I trust my body you know we've been given messages our whole lives to not trust our bodies especially as women and people socialized as women you know we are told not to trust our bodies plus I'd already had a miscarriage before so there you go knock a bit more trust out of my body so where am I <laughs> I'm approaching the birth and I remember calling out and saying but when how much longer how much longer and the midwife said oh could be 20 minutes could be two hours and I just thought no like that the thought of two hours felt so bad and so wrong and didn't help me or serve me at all um it was two hours <laughs> but yeah that it didn't make those two hours any easier so at one point I was um really panicking and the thing is during a contraction it's really hard to panic so then when the contraction finished I was panicking in between and I was told at that point just you're panicking now Cheryl I know I remember thinking oh right okay mustn't panic mustn't mustn't show signs of panic and so from that point onwards I only panicked internally I didn't panic outside at all so no one knew I was panicking but I was panicking I was panicking completely all of the time inside that was pretty terrifying there was also one point where my sister, because, you know, probably out of everyone in the room, she knew me the best. She was concerned for me. She knew I was panicking. She didn't know how to help me. And she asked the midwife, um, is there anything else that you can do for her? I'd already had the second shot of Meptid by that point. So it only sent me more wappy, hadn't it? I'm not sure whether it helped at all, to be honest. Um, the midwife said um, across me I was in the birth pool across me said oh don't worry she won't remember any of this um, and if there was a moment that I was going to pick out of the whole of the birth experience it would be that one for really consolidating the fact that this was going to be traumatic because from that point on as soon as she'd said I wouldn't remember any of this I knew without a shadow of a doubt that I couldn't forget it I couldn't let myself forget it because of what she'd said. Because if I forgot it, then I would be dismissing myself and this whole experience that had been horrible and felt dreadful um, as though it didn't matter. And I, I remember thinking, I can't forget it. I absolutely can't forget this. I need to remember this. And I mean, maybe that is when the trauma response really kicked in because 
part of trauma is that need to remember so that we can avoid that experience again which is very much what it felt like like I have to remember this because I can never go through this again I'm not sure I would survive a second time um so well eventually my baby was born at 10 52 a.m on that Sunday the day before his induction was planned my induction or his both both of us um and yeah I remember feeling it feeling like a tree trunk he felt like a tree trunk as he was being born just massive he wasn't he wasn't massive but um, I don't know whether that was the kind of position that he came out and also the force with which I was pushing him out because I'd asked at one point when when are you going to tell me when to push? Because again, I didn't know anything. I didn't know anything about the expulsive reflex. I didn't know anything about bodies doing this job and what it was supposed to be like. So, you know, the midwife said, push if you want to. And I was like, well, yeah, I want to, because I want it to be over. Just want it to be over. So is there going to be a baby sometime soon, please? And I pushed and I pushed and I pushed like my life depended on it because it did because I didn't know how many more minutes I could deal with this feeling. Um, And for a long time afterwards, I really blamed myself for that as well, because I had a second degree tear and I just thought maybe I wouldn't have torn so badly if I hadn't have pushed so hard. Um, And granted, I know a secondary tear is not the worst type of tear and that, I'm very lucky in lots of ways Um, but it felt like it just compounded my trauma it compounded my sense of failure that I couldn't do this without tearing I couldn't do this without feeling this way and you know on paper I did it I mean I did do it of course I did but on paper it looks like a very straightforward birth just the way that I I planned for actually just the way that I wanted even in a birth pool in a birth center my baby was here wasn't he um except I I wished I wasn't because my baby came out and my baby was on me and I just couldn't stop thinking I can't believe I'm alive I can't believe I'm still alive when I'd already gone to that place in my head, I'd already gone to, I wish I wasn't here. I wish I was dead. I'd begged in my head for death. And then, and then I know I had a baby and, and I wasn't dead. And that left me in a very confusing state because I wasn't sure I even wanted to be alive and my baby was alive and I hadn't expected my baby to be alive even though there'd not been any signs of anything like that happening I'd already taken myself there so for weeks and weeks afterwards I expected him to die and I waited for it to happen and I imagined it happening and I imagined having to call an ambulance and perform CPR um intrusive thoughts are us um and sometimes people experience that following birth trauma as well sometimes that's 
um, experienced even without birth trauma though those kind of intrusive thoughts and postnatal anxiety type symptoms um what I was experiencing was hypervigilance like being on alert all of the time like I you know all of a sudden for no reason oh what is it um all of a sudden wondering if he's okay if I've left the room is he okay um is he still breathing I couldn't sleep um there are lots of things about my birth experience that could have been nicer better there are things that are down to the system and the way birth is dealt with in institutions um but ultimately my head and the place that my head was in was the main reason why I experienced that birth was traumatic and I just I wonder why nobody warned me that that could happen because I, I'm not the first person and I'm definitely not the last to have that kind of experience purely because of where my head is. In fact, it's a question they ask you when you book in anxiety and depression. I remember going in for um, reduced movements and them asking me, so you've got a history of anxiety and depression? And I was like, yeah. And I waited and I thought there was going to be a conversation about that and what that means and what I can do and nothing it was just like okay well we've got it written down on our form so that's all that really matters and all that and I know that really all they were thinking about was that puts me at greater risk of postnatal depression so they'll look out for that when really what I wanted to know is how can I prevent that how can I stop myself from being unwell after this baby's born no one pointed that out to me I'd never heard of birth trauma and I discovered that in the first week or so after giving birth because I couldn't understand how I felt the way I did. And I definitely wasn't depressed. I mean, I have been depressed since, but I wasn't depressed. That's not what I was experiencing. And I'd experienced depression before, so I knew that it wasn't depression. I remember thinking, though, that it felt a lot like grief because I'd experienced the loss of my mum at 19 and I, I recognize this feeling. It feels like grief. It feels like I'm experiencing grief. And it turns out I was. You know, I was grieving for the birth that I wanted and expected. And in some ways, we could say deserved. In fact, I say that all the time. So I don't know why I hesitated with that. The birth I deserved because I deserved to have a positive experience. I deserved to be in a good place when I met my baby but I wasn't and so I was grieving for that and I was also grieving for you know not feeling that joy that I'd expected to feel I was grieving for lots of things grieving for myself grieving for my life grieving for the start to parenthood that I wanted and expected and in some ways grieving for my baby that I was expecting to lose. Like I wasn't expecting him to be okay. And I was grieving for him. I think someone called it anticipatory grief. Um, which I haven't heard many people talk about, to be honest. So 
um, in lots of ways, a unique story, I know, because having a birth center birth in a, in a pool, that's relatively physiological, um, even though, of course, there's sweeps and, and stuff like that, but relatively physiological, straightforward, um, not have an intervention. Um, it sounds like, okay, it sounds like textbook. It sounds like that should be a birth that we can be happy with. And for some people, that is their dream experience. And for some people with a different thing going on inside their head, a different narrative, that is the birth that they always wanted. Um, but it, it wasn't for me. It was traumatic for me. And regardless of how your baby was born and the circumstances surrounding that, I think you'll find that there's lots of similarities in, in how we feel and why we feel that way. Feeling like failures for a start. Feeling like we couldn't do it. Um, feeling grief afterwards. Feeling hypervigilance afterwards. Feeling just like we didn't get what we expected and I think those similarities across the board for people who've suffered with birth trauma particularly when it's been around the birth itself are really common um, and, and when we go back and back into it we can often find out that there was a feeling of not being safe in there somewhere now I've supported people who've had births that have looked completely different to mine and um, lots more in the way of um, things happening that they didn't want to happen and they didn't come away feeling traumatized and I can only put that down to people feeling safe and held and having done the work already to help them feel safe in their body um, it, it is different, it's experienced differently. And knowing what to expect from birth and knowing what to expect from the system and making your decisions based in safety and what you need for yourself make a huge difference to how we then feel when we are there in the moment, whatever that looks like to anyone else. So what message do I want to leave you with? Whew, uh, I'm not sure whether I breathed properly all the way through there, by the way. I'm worried about getting upset, but also worried about not doing justice to the topic. Um, hopefully it feels as though you know me a little bit better and know my story a bit better. If you've got a similarity in your story that you want to share, then please let me know. The message that I want to give to birth professionals, um, anybody who works in and around birth really, is to make sure that we're not making assumptions about someone's birth experience just because it looks a certain way doesn't mean that it was traumatic or wasn't traumatic and that we really should be basing that in people's experiences and the way they talk about their experience um, because any birth can be traumatic and any birth doesn't have to be traumatic if we've got the right safety in place and the right support in place to carry us through so thank you so much for listening to me <laughs> go on about my story today i hope you found something in it that's useful please let me know um 
please share this with anyone who you think might benefit from hearing it. Take good care of yourself because it can be hard to listen to these things. And yeah, if you're thinking that you don't want this type of experience for yourself and you haven't done anything about it yet, then please think very carefully about doing something for your own empowerment, doing something for your own feelings of safety, whatever that is and whatever that looks like. I'm not saying come and work with me, although you might want to, and that's okay. Um, If you don't want to, that's also okay. Just go and do something. (laughs) Do something and be prepared Um, because it can make a massive difference to your experience. Thank you so much. See you next time.